people have opinions without being fully informed. Trust me, I'm a Canadian here. I don't care if you're a Christian, Messianic, or Hebrew roots. I want to know if your theology is biblical. Maybe I'm right. Of course I'm right. If you're going to cite a source, be responsible. You know, cite your source. You're wrong, goes to college. Hey, we're just having a conversation. There's only 36 people listening anyway, right? You can Google it. Wow, at what point does history matter? At what point does truth matter? An alien invasion. Is it biblical? Of course it is. Look, there's a way to do scholarship and a way not to do scholarship. you got to cite your source. Who's your source? My best friend's sister's boyfriend's brother's girlfriend heard from this guy who knows his kid is going with the girlfriend. And that about sums it up. What up? And shalom, welcome to the Robin Caleb Show, the show where theology matters, scholarship counts, and theology matters. My name is Caleb Hagen with me, of course, Rob Vanhoff. What up, Rob? How's it going, man? Shalom. Doing a, a secret broadcast, right? Yep. We got we already got one one person with us. Woohoo! People are already starting to show up. How's it going, man? Going well. I'm enjoying some coffee in my Torah resource mug. Yeah, you are. And I think it tastes good. And not only that, I'm wearing a Yeshua shirt. Yeah. And that's an important name. Yeshua. <laughs> Jesus. That's right. Right? Yeah. Ah, yes. Very good. Uh, for those who don't know. Why? It's important. Yeah. For those who don't know, I'm going on uh, vacation here starting tomorrow. And so we decided to do... So he's, so he's going to start dressing like me. <laughs> yes, exactly. Hang on, hang on a second. I, I got a, I got a cough here. <coughs> okay, okay. There we go. Sorry about that. Um, so it's, uh, it, it was decided that we would do a show sometime today. We didn't t- send anything out or tell anybody when we were going to do it, but we decided to. And so here is well, this. The Bible says no man knows the the day, the, or ta- the, hour. Ta- the day or the hour. Yeah, we didn't uh, even know. Yeah. All right. We still, so, I just now, I just now knew because I looked at the clock. All right, man. So how's your uh, weekend been? Um, going well. Yeah. Uh, I feel like last week we kind of got feet back on the ground and now it's. Uh, and now we're going to stop sick. again right away. <laughs> <clears throat> no, it's, it's good. My family is in need of a, a good long vacation. And so I think it's, uh, we're going to, it's going to be good that we're going on vacation and, uh, and so, yeah, that's, it's, it's well needed, but, uh, it will be nice to get back and start season five of the Robin Caleb show. That's right. When I yeah, get back. So what number are we on right now? This is show 197. Okay. And you can wow. tell, you can tell that I'm really in the, uh, in the vacation mode because I'm wearing a t-shirt as opposed to a button, a button up. Yeah. Yeah. But there's actually a good reason for that. When I uh, put on my button up today. I have a very special button up that I use here at the office uh, when I, when I record stuff. Uh, realized that a button had popped off, so. Uh oh. I guess What's the Lord the Lord wanted mm-hmm. me in vacation mode already. That's what that is a sign of. Or your girth is is you're going to need a new button up, maybe. Dude, I have gained <laughs> a lot of weight. There's no doubt about it. But it is impossible to find button up shirts for me. Like I have to special order them. And the reason why is because I have the Norwegian neck. I have an 18 and a half inch neck. I don't know if you know how big that is, but it's huge. When I went into, uh, to, I went into like a uh, Burlington coat factory 
and I was looking through the shirts. Like, Sorry, we can't help you. Well, the tailor came up. He's like, "What what size shirt do you wear?" I was like, "I have an eighteen and a half inch neck." He was like, "No, you don't." I was like, "Okay." He was like, "Hang on." He got his little r- ruler out, and like yeah. around. My, he was like, "Oh, you do have an eighteen and a half inch neck." I was like, "Yeah, I know, dude. Thank you." Anyway, all right, let's get to uh, more important matters. So, uh, well, should we start with six six six? Or should we go straight into sacred name? Oh, let's do the let's do the gematria first. Okay, let's do gematria first. You know, I'm having a I'm having a hard time with my levels here. Something got screwed up with our levels, and I don't know what's going on. Um, I I don't even think that our that um, I don't think that our music is going out to the radio right now. I think only our voices are. So um, I don't know what's going on. I I'm we're just having a real hard real tough time with our levels today. So anyway, um, okay, let's go to 666. So for those who don't know in, um, and this is a great comment and you know, our friend Andrew, uh, Andrew's great. He's all over the place when it comes to his, uh, his combating what we say, because, uh, some weeks he really, really, uh, enjoys what we're saying and agrees with us. Other weeks he gets very upset about the things that we say and, uh, he's very vocal about it. And it actually makes for a really interesting back and forth between us and our, our friend Andrew. Um, and so I, I, I know that he's going to listen to this and, uh, I have to say that I've really enjoyed, uh, the back and forth that, that Andrew and we have, uh, because of this show. So, uh, he, he wrote a really good message to us and it was a question asking about something that we might be able to do for the show. Now, this isn't going to be a full topic, but it's a great question. Nonetheless, he says, one of the things I hope you can discuss on the show, Gamatria is unsound and a waste of time. We have to be careful about deriving meanings from numbers in the Bible. It's a bottomless rabbit hole, but what about the number 666 in Revelation? Is this not an example of the scripture actually encouraging believers to figure out a cryptic gematria? What can we summarize? I'm sorry, what can we surmise, not summarize, surmise. This is a great question. Um, And I have my my thoughts on this. Do you want to go first or shall I? Um, Go ahead, you first. Okay. Well, first of all, as everyone uh, who listens to this show on a regular basis should know, and if you have read my father's uh, article that's in the Torah Resource uh, articles, you can go to TorahResource.com and then just hover over library, go down to articles, and you can search for articles in there too. Um, you'll know that there's actually a variant in this passage that's that we're talking about here in Revelation. It could be 616, so the Mark of the Beast could be 616, or it could be 666. Um, right. So that's, I mean, that's just a little tidbit, I guess. Well, and it's our, uh, no, I don't know if it's our oldest. No, I think it might be our oldest fragment of Revelation is third or fourth century, P115. And it has 616. Yes. And and then the church father, Irenaeus, um, uh, also corroborates that. Yes. So Irenaeus is second century, right? Oh man, yeah. you're really testing my my church history here, but oh, I I believe that's true. On. I know. Um, but the so old... so so one maybe right off the bat, maybe it doesn't matter for the sake of this particular question that we're getting Correct. whether it's six 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 or six sixteen. So maybe we should just say that. So let's say 
let's we can shelve which one is correct, 616 or 666. And and the transliteration of Nero Caesar into Aramaic adds up to 666. And if you take the final noon off, Neron, I think is how they have it, you can, which would be a proper way of doing it, but you could take the noon off, and the noon is 50, and you'd still get Nero Kaiser, and it would be 616. So there is an explanation that it's re referring to a, a particular harsh political leader in the first century. It didn't name him by name, and both 616 and 666 work as a cipher for his name. Yes. Now, that is, I'm not saying that. I, I mean, just it, it's a good solution. It's probably the best explanation um, that it's referring to a first century political military leader who's against believers and uh, as a type of uh, as a type of force in the world that's trying that wants to eradicate the gospel, basically. Um, so we but that is just really to set aside because I think the deeper issue is, what about Gematria, right? That's what... Well, okay, but the, but the background of the number 616 versus 666 is interesting because everyone's really globbed on to the idea that it's 666. So, I mean, the, just this concept. The other thing that people have really globbed on to is that this is something that is definitely in the future, right? The mark of the beast is something that's definitely down the road. Now, I'm not opposing that. In fact, when it comes to these kind of issues, I try to stay out of the whole... Uh, you know, prophetic, and my my, uh, my good friends Ben and I were talking about this uh, the other day, is that I think it's good to be prepared, you know, and he made some really good points about this, that it's really good to be prepared, and it's, but preparedness really has to do with the heart, right? And mm -hmm. and the way that we're living our lives unto, unto Yeshua, this is what true preparedness for the end times is. Now, when we see these things start to happen, that's when, that's when we know that God is faithful. I don't think that these things are necessarily, oh, you know, we have this roadmap of this is exactly what's going to happen. So, you know, you need to be in the hill country at this time or, you know, it, it says to grab your, you know, to to take your sword and run. Don't look back, right? So um, I try to stay out of these things, even though obviously it's what everyone really likes to study and, and hear about. Uh, we see a lot of the end times things being uh, very popular on social media and whatnot. Uh, so anyway, not the point. Um, but I, it does bring up a very good question. Was it talking about Nero only? Or is there is a, te is a telescope prophecy, which a lot of the time, I believe, in Revelation and, and other places it is. Okay, in terms of Gematria, here's my take on it. I have a problem with Gematria when you take a word, a random word, and you break it down into numbers. Because I don't believe that was the intent. And that, this is where I think Gematria really goes wrong. Or when you take a number that's given in the Bible, like, okay, well, you know, the sons of Esau were dot, dot, dot amount. And then you take that number and you say, okay, well, what meaning can we derive from this? And so the text is, is really saying that Esau's sons were, and then you have some Gematria made up, you know, right. this is where I think Gematria is really, really a problem. That doesn't mean that numbers aren't used in specific ways within the Bible. So this is a perfect example and probably one of the few examples that we can actually point to. 
um, where one of the writers of the apostolic scriptures uses a number to convey something else. But it's obvious that he's giving the number in that manner, right? It's it, it, He expects his audience to, to put a meaning onto it. It's still cryptic, isn't it? Yeah. We still don't know exactly what he's talking about, but... It's uh, he's using numbers in a cryptic way, but this is clearly the the point of it. In my opinion, when when gematria really falls into trouble is when you take numbers and you're making making uh, extra meanings out of them that the author didn't intend, or when you're taking words that don't have anything to do with number. For instance, my name. Oh well, my name adds up to this amount, and it means this, which means I must have the attributes. That, you know, it means lion, so I must have the heart of a lion. Or you know, I don't know. These these kind of ideas are. Uh, this is where we really get into trouble. What do you think, Rob? Yeah. Um, well, another example people will bring up is in Matthew chapter one, where there are the 14 generations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good, good you know, point. And they'll yeah. say, well, this is like um, David, right? Because David's name mean, or, or uh, Dalit Vav Dalit, the word for David in Hebrew, um, if you convert it to numbers, you get 464, and you add those up, and you get 14. Um. You know, and that works, except, you know, I don't know how many times, but in the Bible, David is also spelled Dalit Vav Yod Dalit, which is 24. So David's name depends on how you spell it, whether or not it fits or not. So, again, we're not dealing with uh, an exact science here, right? This is, did Matthew 1 intend us to see 14 as the name David as significant? I don't know. I don't know. And and if we say yes, then what's the gain? What do we gain by affirming the answer is yes? This is this is actually a really good point, Rob, is that in the case that you're talking about right now, if the author's intended meaning was to add up to add up the generations to make the name David, what does it do for our faith? And people are predominantly going to say nothing. It's just, uh, you know, it's it's an interesting, it's another way to affirm that Yeshua was coming from the line of David. But we already see that in the scripture, so we already know it, right? There's nothing, bi- uh, but in the case of 666 or 616 in Revelation, this is something that, we w- that we're looking for. In other words, this is something that we uh, can base our future on because we're looking for this name or we're looking for this, uh, you know, th- this person or this mark to come. And so we can actually build future off of this. But this is where I think that we get into trouble with prophecy, right? Mm-hmm. If we live our life, we should live our life like today's the end, no matter what. Now, people take that to mean different things. So for instance, there's people that literally have built bunkers in their backyard so that they can withstand the, you know, the antichrist and the fallout, the nuclear fallout that's going to happen. Is that what we mean by we should live our life like it's the last day? No, I don't think so. I think when it comes to prophecy, what it means to live our life as if it is the last day is that we live it unto the Messiah. 
that we tell people about the good news, that we are constantly trying to live a life that reflects the Messiah and that we live a life of righteousness. This is what it means to be prepared. But, and, and, if, and if we see it that way, if we do take it that way, then, the, then knowing the number 616 or 666, and if it does apply to something in the future and not something in the past, then it, doesn't, it still doesn't change anything, does it? There's still no, there's still nothing that we're going to change because of it. And he, and here's here's another thing to think about. We have in uh, our earliest Greek manuscripts, in some of in many of them actually, I, I don't know the actual ratio, but many of them um, of the apostolic writings, or even uh, Old Testament, you know, where they use what's called the uh, nomina sacra. That's where they instead of writing out like. Jesus Christ, they'll put a, uh, a yota and a, a he together, and then they put a line over it. So it's set apart in the text. Or if they're going to say um, kurios or something like that, they'll put a kappa for the word kur- Okay, so if you were using Greek as numbers, you would see that, and it would just look like a number to you. In other words, you might not even, just a reader might just make that association just because it looks like it, right? Because they didn't have a separate sure. uh, set of numbers, unless you're using Roman numerals. But, for example, Epistle of Barnabas, when do we date that to? Second century? Oh, man. He takes the in Bar- <laughs> Epistle of Barnabas, not written by Barnabas. It's a it, uh, He writes in Barnabas chapter 9, and you can look this up online, in Epistle Barnabas chapter 9, he talks about the 318 men. Remember that Abraham gets 318 men to go fight the kings? Um, He says, oh, observe that it mentions 10 and 8 first, and then the interval 300. 10 and 8 is the Yoda and the the He, which is, uh, he says that this is Jesus. Or no, that, sorry, it's not a key. It's a Yoda and a, an Ada, which which adds up to 18. And those are the first two words of Yeshua, of Yeshu. So you have Greek Yoda, Greek Ada, adds up to 18. Then you have the, th- word, the letter for 300 is the Tav, or the Tau in Greek, which lo- and he says, and it looks like a cross. So the three. So here you have a second-century epistle of Barnabas saying that the 318 men represents Yeshua on the cross through using um, uh, gematria. Uh, yeah, quasi gematria. It's gematria mixed with word pictures because the tau he says <laughs> looks like a cross. Yeah. And I'm so, like, okay. So, I, I know this is a little bit of a rabbit trail, but at the same time. Um, Terry says, assuming this was a common cryptic way for them speaking of any anti-type leaders. Okay. So correct me if I'm well, wrong, but we have that. We have Jeremiah using Atbash. So he call he says Shishak, right? Shishak is ba- uh, Bavel. And, uh, is it, uh, Leif Kami is the Kassadim, the, the Chaldeans. So we, so using ciphers for political figures that are anti-faith, 
seems to be something that w- is used there. So um, d- remind me, correct me if I'm wrong. I took, man, it was a couple of years ago. I took your uh, your literature of the uh, non-canonical literature of the first century or of the mm-hmm. of, the, of the first, yeah, of the of the second temple period. Uh, is it in Enoch where we have a lot of numerology, or is it in a Enoch, different? Well, in Enoch depends on which. Which Enoch, not not so much. Enoch, well, the the oldest Enoch is, you know, his heavenly travels. So yeah. he gets, but he does have, he claims to have this revealed knowledge about the seasons, about the calendar, right? Because it's a solar calendar. Yeah, that's right. That's it's right. contrary to the Torah of Moses, but he gets it from heaven. And so people think it's a legit revelation. Of course, this all is in the, is in the Hellenistic period, right? And the whole thing of giants. Yeah, you know, uh, fallen angels and stuff responding to the Greek mythology in the day. Um, but that's but just it—is that we is that the 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 mythology of the day and what was going on in Jewish literature in the first century is pretty much. I mean, we don't have a, a super clear understanding of what was like, po- like po- really popular, uh, popular literature there then that wasn't canonical, right? I mean. We have some of it, but we don't have a lot of it. But we know that we know that there were certain uh, uh, things that that people like to read and are referenced, right? I mean, Paul references uh, uh, Greek mythology. I think Jude. I mean, it said he talks about Enoch. Whether or not that's actually from Enoch or not, that that could be deba- debated. Um, but it seems like they're referencing. Common- well, he doesn't cite Enoch as scripture. He just right. says, as Enoch said. It yep. doesn't say as it is written, so yep. he doesn't cite it as a book. That's that's an but, important thing. But my, my what my point is is that we have these, you know, we have people using the same kind of language and even you know referen- possibly referencing literature that's extant in the first century that we don't have now. So the idea that that uh, John would have referenced something in a gematria fashion or something that people would have known, in other words, people understand this and they and they get it. I don't have a problem with that at all, and I don't and I don't. You know, obviously it's in the scripture, so he knew what he was doing. The Holy Spirit knew what he was doing. Okay. I hope that answers your question, uh, Andrew. Thank you for... Well, here's here's one other thing. Go for one it. One other thing. We, we have, for example, acrostic poetry in the Torah. We have, or in the Tanakh, largely, like Psalm 118, for example. You have eight letters dedicated to each, or eight verses, rather, dedicated to Aleph, eight for Bet, eight for Gimel, and so on and so forth. Or you have, like, the end of Proverbs, the Eshet Chayil, right? Each, it's a poem. It's an acrostic poem. So you have Aleph, Bet, Gimel. The Book of Lamentations, right, um, is full of acrostic poetry, each chapter except the last one. So using the alphabet and as a way of ordering thought and organizing and creating, a, a like, a sense of coherent um, wholeness is, is also an aspect of, uh, of expression in God's word. Um, so, but, but what we need to watch for is the attempt to derive new meaning or to, from the scriptures or to find something in the world today that we think smells funny and we want to see if it's 666 or not, you know, that kind of thing is, is, very dangerous. And in the Middle Ages, um, there, like Baal HaTurim is one of the, the Jewish 
kind of Kabbalist or, uh, you know, commentators in like, what is he, 13th, 14th century? Mm-hmm. Um, I think 13th century. But he's drawing on Masora knowledge. He's drawn on Midrash, all these things, trying to like come up with, like he's always calculating Gematria and then comparing words that have the same number. And even in the Zohar, and you get you get it where they're even calculating wrong, like they counted wrong. They're like, and it's like, oops. So that what are they doing? They're they're in a crisis of faith, and they're trying yeah. to derive meaning and try to build new meanings for people. And and what happens is, is you, that's never going to end. That's never going to end. That's all people are going to try to create new meaning, uh, and you know try to derive, you know, and make connections between things that are exciting and ear tickling and sensational and mm. make big claims and try to gather people to themselves. And, uh, in my view, that's all a distraction. Yeah, exactly. The most important thing is, is who is Yeshua? That's the question. And to be in Yeshua is is the place to be. That's, that's it, you know? Um, and there's no magic. There's no deriving of letters or anything like that. Um, that is going to get you there. No doubt. Okay. Let's move on. Uh, before we do, let's just say this, we've already mentioned torahresource.com, but if you don't already know, you can go to torahresource.com and find all sorts of free stuff. And this show is brought to you by torahresource.com. So we encourage you to uh, go over to Torah Resource and uh, check out all sorts of great stuff. And don't forget to uh, give us a call on our comment line, 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. I got to remember to switch that message. I'll do it when I get back from uh, when I get back from vacation. And of course, uh, the Robin Caleb show is made possible through the generous contributions of our supporters and our listeners. If you'd like to help support this show, you can go to torresource.com, click on the donate button. Don't forget, if you do that, please leave us a message in your, the order notes because we like to see all those things. Um, and so, yeah, we would encourage you to do that. Okay, let's see here. Let me real quickly just... I, I'm trying to get my levels up a little bit, and I don't know why, but I cannot seem to get my mic up. Test, 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 test. There we go. Okay. I think that's a little bit better. Okay. So um, let's go back to our emails. Uh-oh. Did I uh, – I forgot to grab this email. Give me just a second. Let me open it up real quick and see if I can find the email in question. Uh, good friend David, oh, there it was. A good friend David wrote, and he says, Would you be able to help me understand and address Nehemia Gordon's claim that the Tetragrammaton must be pronounced Yehovah? A few people in, our, in my congregation use this pronunciation because they've been convinced by Gordon's work on the subject. I'd like to be prepared with a response when people in my congregation ask me about this. I trust the scholarship of Torah Resource and was hoping you could help me. I read your dad's, that's my father's paper, uh, titled Why Nehemia Gordon is Wrong About the Tetragrammaton. And to be honest, it was a little over my head. Yes, I know I need to take some Hebrew classes ASAP. I'm wondering if there might be an argument I could make against Gordon's methodology 
that you could help me articulate. This is the video, and he gave the video uh, that was posted on July 17th by Nehemiah Gordon. He says that, uh, uh, in which Gordon explains how to, uh, he found the Yehovah pronunciation in, in over a hundred newly available Hebrew manuscripts. Okay, so before we go on with this, I, I just want to say, you know, uh, I, Rob and I both just spoke with Nehemiah Gordon uh, recently, last week, uh, in in uh, Boston. You know, Nehemiah Gordon was at uh, the Society of Biblical Literature. And he attended a lot of the same lectures that uh, Rob went to. And not only that, but he attended Rob's lecture in the Masora section. And uh, I have to hand it to Nehemiah. He's not a believer, and he's a he is a Karite Jew. And um, I have to hand it to him. He is a very, very personable and nice fella. Uh, I, I enjoy talking with him. And uh, we've sat down and had lunch with him before. And he really is a very nice person. Uh, that being said, he has some very different beliefs than Rob and I do in terms of faith. In fact, there's little that we connect on uh, besides a love to study. I think that's probably the one thing that I can say Nehemia Gordon and I have in common. Uh, yeah, or or I would say, you know, yeah, of just, you know, being a cordial, a cordial uh attitude and yeah. um, a, a, a love to study the Masora, but it's, but really beyond that, it's really, it's like complete two opposite, two opposite perspectives, different, yeah. uh, method, different, uh, not only a different theological framework, but different philosophical framework. Um, definitely. Uh, I hope that he, uh, you know, some of the, because when I talked to him briefly in, Boston. I didn't know he had posted. I, I don't follow his videos or anything like that. So I didn't know. I don't know what the most recent claims are uh, when I've seen him. So um, so I don't really ask him about that kind of thing. But um, but I hope that, you know, if if some of the things I've seen recently, some of his claims, I'd say, wow, you know, go to SBL and share your share your claims. You know, um, that would be where at least you have an opportunity to have some peer review rather than uh, people who just don't know their right hand from their left and are just going to, you know, because it feels good and it sounds good and it is emotional, has an emotional appeal. Um, and to me, I just say that's a warning for any kind of teaching that has um, neglected hearing counsel and wisdom and direction from uh from the generations that have gone before, you know, I I um I saw somebody on and from co peers, uh, contemporary peers as well. Sure, I I saw some, you know, and I don't think I, from what I saw at SBL this past year, I I don't think that Nehemiah Gordon would necessarily be opposed to trying to present his views, and so I I hope I I think you're right. I hope that he uh, I hope that he got that bug this year to try to. Uh, present what he's found, found, um, you know, I was, I was online the other day and I saw somebody who was basically saying, if you say the name in English, or if you spell it in English, or if you say Jesus, or if you say Yeshua, none of that's right. You have to spell it in Hebrew and you have to say it in Hebrew for basically for God to hear you is basically what this person was mm. saying. And, um, then he said it, the name is, and then he tried to spell it. 
And for those who don't know Hebrew, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I apologize, but I'm going to explain this. There's no other way. He then spelled it Yod Chet Vav Chet. <laughs> and I found this to be very humorous because um, although the letters look alike, it, it that's the wrong spelling of the of the name. It's Yod Hey Vav Hey. And a hey, yeah, and there's no Hebrew word that even would spell no. that way. And so it, it, it just shows that the people who are really uh, making large claims about this uh, in the Hebrew Roots movement tend to have very little or no knowledge of Hebrew in general. Now, Nehemiah Gordon is different because Nehemiah does have a knowledge of, of Hebrew. And, uh, but what I have noticed, and this is, I'm not trying to put Nehemiah down in this, um, but what I've noticed is the people that tend to really glob onto what he's saying and, uh, and uh, hold fast to it or, or reteach it, you know, are the people who don't have a strong knowledge at all. You know, that's a good point. I Hebrew. don't know. It's it's my knowledge of... I'm glad you said that, Gil, and I, because that helps me kind of see, self-reflect. My knowledge of Hebrew is why I can't, is just like, why there's just no question why I'm not going to step in that uh, in that circle. You know, sure. it's like, I, I can't do it. I don't know of anybody who is trained in biblical Hebrew and even modern Hebrew, because I know Nehemiah is fluent in modern Hebrew. I, his biblical Hebrew, I don't know about what he knows about vowels or anything like that. Uh, um, and that's a, tr they're different languages. They really are. Um, uh, I don't know anybody who is really locked in with him who, and I don't know a lot of people, uh, you know, I'm sure. sure he knows a lot of people and, and there's probably are people who who do are competent with Hebrew, but it's my uh, my experience is that the people I know that I've met that have been enthusiastic about his teaching are are also into word pictures, are into different kind of strange doctrines that to me show that they're susceptible to buying into what someone is peddling because they don't have any grounding in themselves, and this is a scary uh, thing for people in the body of Messiah, largely. Um, you know, I would say the same reason, you know, I, the people who were the people that rejected Mormonism in the early 19th century, you know, who were the people that rejected it? Um, were people who, you know, had, <laughs> that it looked foreign, right? It was like, wait a minute. But, the, but there are certain registers of society that plugged into it right because it was it it, it uh, sounded good well well hang on just a second let's let's back up for just a second because let's give a little bit more credit to to maybe some of the people who are kind of globbing onto this first of all Nehemiah does have a knowledge of some Hebrew whether it's biblical Hebrew or modern Hebrew modern so Hebrew is, I believe he's fluent I think it's his you know yeah. So, no question about that. so, so, uh, we're talking about people seeing someone who has a, uh, you know, a knowledge of the language and there are people out there who love the Lord and who are really striving to follow after the Lord, <clears throat> pardon me, who don't have any knowledge of the biblical languages. And our friend here who wrote this email, David is probably a, a, a perfect example of this. Now, David's not being swayed by, uh, you know, he's not he's not buying into this. In fact, he's coming to us to say, get help, 
right? But yeah. David's a perfect. So we, should, we should zero in on that. I'm glad you're reminding us about that. But but David's a perfect example because David loves the Lord. You know, I talk to David a lot, and, and he's a he's a he loves the Lord. He's got a good heart for the Lord. He seeks counsel when uh, you know when things come up that he's not sure about. All these show a very mature person spiritually. Um, he also has a family and, uh, you know, he works full time. And so, um, I understand that, uh, you know, learning, learning about these things is, you know, it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort and I'm struggling with the same thing in Greek right now, you know, trying to find the time every day to learn Greek. Okay. So, um, with all that said, and, and I don't think that, uh, Nehemia Gordon watches this show, but if he does, uh, then this is meant with all due respect, uh, you know, looking at this from a scholarly, scholarly perspective, and this is not to down Nehemia uh, personally or anything. And I, I, uh, I think that he would know that, especially being a member of the SBL and, and knowing kind of how those things, how those processes work. Um, but let's go and let's first listen to now what I did was I, cl I only have two clips of this video. And I didn't send out show notes today, so um, I I can I have this uh, this video if people want a, a clip of it. Um, the whole thing it's about twenty five minutes long. It was uh, recorded on uh, July seventeenth, I believe, two thousand seventeen, or so, so right around in there. Um, what I did was the first clip that I grabbed. What it's a minute and thirty four seconds long, and I I did edit it. So there's a portion that I took out of this. So I kind of took two portions and put them together, and I did that just to try to give you the broadest overview of what Gordon is saying in in about the Tetragrammaton within these within these uh, manuscripts. Okay, and actually at the SBL, um, he I was standing while he was talking to someone else, and um, he actually said, you know, the amount of manuscripts are much more than we had originally thought. So let's give you a general idea before we talk about this. But then at the time, I only really knew in 2001 about two Hebrew manuscripts. Later, I found that had the full vowels, Yehovah. Found a third one a few years later. Um, found a fourth one. Last summer, I found the fifth one. Now think about that. Last summer was 2016. Yes. And that was the fifth manuscript I had found in 15 years. So that's on average. One every three years. Well, uh, earlier this year, I was working on a research project, which I was trying to find what do rabbis actually say about the pronunciation of the name? Because it's a com it's common knowledge. Say common knowledge. Common knowledge. It's a fact. Say fact. <laughs> fact. That no one knows how to pronounce God's holy name in the <laughs> Jewish <laughs> world. <laughs> well, so, okay, joking aside, it's common knowledge that the rabbis didn't know how to pronounce the name. And that then opens the door for any kind of wild theory you want. Yahuwah, Yahweh, Yohavuha, any, any name, any pronunciation you want, because the Jews don't know. Well, I started looking to ask the question, is it true the Jews don't know? And I'd never asked that question before. I end up finding 10 rabbis who say the name is Yehovah. Actually, 16 rabbis to date who say the name is Yehovah, but at the time I knew about uh, 10 or 11. And I said to myself, I have 10 rabbis, but only five manuscripts. I need more manuscripts. And I thought, this is impossible. How am I going to find more manuscripts when it took me 15 years to find five? So I start looking, and my goal is to get to 10. Well, as of this morning, when we're recording this here in, in uh, San Antonio, we have over 90 manuscripts with the full vowels Yehovah. Okay, so uh, um, the claim now is that, uh, and basically what he's saying is is that, uh, well, in the next clip that we're going to hear, 
Um, it's so it just sounds so sensational. It's just uh, it's very sensational. Well, well, at the SBL, I, I uh, heard I overheard him talking to someone. He said, "Well, actually, there's like 500 manuscripts that we found now." And the person that he was talking to said, "Well, yeah, you're going to f- find it's in every manuscript." And, yeah, I mean, and, really, and, and I mean, don't. It'd be easier to count the ones that don't have it. I and suppose. Uh, Nehemiah Gordon said, can I quote you on that? And he said, absolutely. It's common knowledge that you're going to find the, you know, the vowels that are attached to it in full in almost every manuscript. Um, and so this is not necessarily, in my opinion, a question of whether or not Gordon has found this. It's no, okay. What a, is he talking about? He's it, talking it, it, about where you have the tetragram. Let's just do, what what is he talking about? He's talking about where you have the four letters, the tetragram, yod, hey, vav, hey, and you have a shava under. The okay, wait, hang on. Now, now you've already lost people. Let's let's okay. let's let's sim- simplify it. Specific, yeah, let's 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 simplify. Yeah. So the the vowels in Hebrew. I'm trying to. I want to try to break this down for people who don't speak any Hebrew at all or know anything about Hebrew. You have consonants. And the consonants are on one line. And then in Hebrew, you have vowels. And these vowels, they don't go on the same line as the consonants. They go either underneath or they go above. Okay? This is how the vowels work. So in in a Torah scroll, if you look at a Torah scroll today, what you have is you actually have all consonants, no vowels. So there's essentially no vowels that could, I mean, that could be debated if you want to say that Aleph and Ayin at one time might have been vowels or whatnot. But for the most part today, we don't have any vowels in the Torah scroll. But the Masoretes or the scribes from, we don't know exactly the time, but probably sometime 4th century to 8th century, sometime to 10th century, sometime around in there, they were writing uh, these, these scrolls with the vowels and with notes. Okay, and this is what we call the Masoretic text. It, they actually put the vowels in and they put notes in talking about the text. And this is really where my father, Tim Hag, and where Rob Van Hoff have uh, put a significant focus of study is into these vowels and into the notes that these scribes wrote. Okay, with that being said, now just talk about what he, why Nehemiah Gordon believes that he's found the true pronunciation of the name in these texts. Um, yeah, so the vowel, there's called vowel points there. They don't, they're not supposed to touch the letters, right? And like Caleb said, they're not, you're not going to find them in a Torah scroll. You're going to find them in products of Masoretic scribes or products of scribes that aren't Masoretes, but, but are copying Masoretic text. And so remember, this is all the manuscripts that Nehemiah is talking about here are before the printing press, but they're medieval. They're ranging anywhere. Now he's going to tell you there's some that are really old, but he's not looking at the manuscripts themselves. He's looking at photographs of them that have been in, uh, in microfiche or, you know, or the, the old library style where you put in the film and you have the big projector kind of thing. Sure. Um, and he's, he's going to push for early dates. That's part of his uh, deal, is if, if, if all his manuscripts are shown to be late, that's going to be difficult for his argument. But because he is not in a situation of peer review, he can go out and tell people what the dates of a manuscript are. Um, no, that's, but wait, hang on. That's not to say that I don't, necess- I don't believe that Nehemiah Gordon is, is 
willfully saying, haha, I'm going to deceive everyone. No, no, no. I, I'm just saying it's 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 a symptom of when you don't have peer review. Sure, okay. For example, uh, one one paper at SBL, we had Yosef Ofer, who is a major uh, Masoretic scholar, talk about a forgery by Furkovich to make a certain document look karaite. And that was something that Nehemiah Gordon was like, oh, so you're so, so you have an issue of sometimes the uh, documents that put dates on these things are forgeries from later times or from people who who live hundreds of years later and just don't know. So you can't trust, you know, it, anyway, it's a complex issue. But the point is this. Let's just when he talks about all these hundreds of manuscripts, he's talking about uh, manuscripts that have been photographed and he's looking at photographs of manuscripts and in probably the majority of cases, I would say. And um, he's finding these places where you have God's name, yod Hey vav Hey, with a specific set of three vowels. Now, now sometimes it should be said and right away. Hang on, wait. Okay. It should be it should be said right away that sometimes we find the sacred name of God in these manuscripts only have two vowels, okay, and then other times the vowels are they're they're actually different. Um, but what Nehemiah Gordon is really focusing on here is not the times when it has two vowels and not the right. times when the vowels are different, but when there's, th there's three vowels. Right. So here, here's the way, here's the way to think of it. For example, just because we've got to start somewhere. If we take the Leningrad codex, okay, yes. the Leningrad codex, which is our oldest complete Bible. Now, it would be nice if we had the, the all of the Aleppo Codex, but we at this time we don't have all of the Aleppo Codex, which is older, and it seems to be of a, a higher quality in terms of uh, in terms of consistency and accuracy. Sure, the Aleppo Codex is is a uh, a better source than the Leningrad. But that aside, if we just look at Leningrad, there are let's see here one two three four five. There are 10 or 11 different ways. So if you look at, let's say you take the Leningrad Codex, which is written basically... Different ways to do what? Wait, wait, clarify. In the year just, 1008 wait. or 1009. If Cl you had the Leningrad Codex and you went through and you found every time that yod heh is written, sure. let's say, and let's say you wrote them down every single time, and every single time you wrote the vowels that were in the text next to it, you would have... Let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. At least eleven different vowel pointings for the name Yodhe Vavhe. You'd, you'd come up with at least eleven different ways. Well, one of those ways, uh, Nehemiah Gordon has chosen one of those eleven ways and said, This one is the real one. And we're supposed to just go, Oh, okay. And how do you know this is the real one? This is the real one because, uh, because why? Well, okay, hang on. Why is this the real one? But, and then, and that's where he says, he says, well, because this one, they, all the others are not as full. And this one is the one that is, must be the real one. And it occurs in the Leningrad Codex between 40 and 50 times. Well, what, Even what, though the name itself occurs over, you know, 6,000 something times. But he says it's a mistake. He says that the that the scribes screwed up and wrote. So it. he's saying, yeah, one of the eleven times is a, is the right one, and that same one happens to be an error. An error well, that happens be, a lot of times by these scribes who are so specific. Yeah. yeah. 
and so therefore it must be. Well, the well here there's a couple problems, and this is back to David's email. Let's just say he's right. Let's just let's just say for exa- for the sake of argument, let's say he's correct that out of these eleven ways that you see it in the Leningrad Codex, our oldest complete Tanakh with vowel points. Let's say this one out of eleven is the right one. I don't forget about the question of how do we pick this one out of the others. And that it's that the that it's a mistake that the he sh, that the scribe somehow didn't want to reveal it, but he did in this instant, which is another hypothesis that he has here. We can't prove these things. Remember, we can't prove that this one out of the eleven is the one, or that this was a mistake. The scribe slipped something through. These are these are stories that he's telling, but there's no science behind it. Let's just but let's just forget those two crucial questions for the moment and say he's right that that the scribe made this mistake and he's revealing what the scribe really believes is the pronunciation so let's just take it at that here's a big problem a big problem is the tanakh itself where we have names where where we see the name for example yah hallelujah it starts with a, it's yod with a kamatz or which is a different vowel, which is a different vowel. Yeah, yeah, it's a different vowel altogether. Or Yirmi Yahoo. Yahoo. How many? I, I did a quick search. I think there are, if, if my search is accurate, there's over, there's, there's 600 and some odd times where you have Yahoo as the end of a name in Tanakh. So, Yahoo, Yahoo, uh, I don't know. Uh, 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 Adon, Adoniyahu. Let's um, okay. Hang on, just a sec. Uh, hey, hang Yirmiyahu. on. Let's let's try to um, clarify for people who are are Azariyahu. who are totally in the weeds right now. Benayahu. Hang on, just okay. A sec. So how do you explain those? Right. That that's that's an important thing, and and especially the where it stands alone. Hallelujah. Right. We we get that into uh, in even into Greek. Hallelujah. Right. So if his name is Yah, you know, that makes that would be a, an undermining to his insistence that the first vowel is yeah. Right. That, and that's that's an important thing. And their argument that we just heard in that clip was that, oh, you know, people can make up all these different things. Well, in fact, he's just chosen one yeah. and and has a story and a, a series of stories woven together as to why. This is the revealed one, and it sounds exciting, and I'm sure it, 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 people want to come here, and they'll buy books, etc. Um, but that's just one, one place. Okay, hang on. No, wait, 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 wait. Go ahead. Let's, other stuff I know. Let's, let's quickly just explain or try to explain real quick what's actually going on here. What you have in the with the tetragrammaton within the uh, and that's a fancy Greek word for the sacred name. Uh, the what four you have, letters, yeah. yeah, the four letters. Which what, what you have with the tetragrammaton going on in the Tanakh with the Masoretic text, they don't want you to try to pronounce the sacred name because it's sacred. Okay. Well, the, that's where they get Jehovah. Exactly. Basically, no, 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 he's saying. Basically, he's just saying that he's doing. The, he's repeating the same. 
mantra where yeah. the English layers get Jehovah, except they just say, well, there's no J. It's correctly. A okay, y. but hang on. So our, because our, our audience, our audience might not know exactly what's happening here. What the Masoretes did was, and this isn't the only place where they've done this, but they'll say, you, you say, uh, you read this. In other words, we read yod Vave, but we're going to put the vowels for a different word below it. And that word is going to be in, in, 95% of the cases, it's Adonai. So they want you to say Adonai. So they put underneath the, the Tetragrammaton, they put the vowels for Adonai. This is not always the case. And this is why sometimes, like for instance, in uh, 2 Samuel seven nineteen, my dad was showing me this one today. And this happens m many times. It's th This isn't just one, but in 2 Samuel seven nineteen. You have yod heh vav -Hey, and then the word Adonai after it. And so the scribes didn't want you to say Adonai, Adonai. Instead, they put the vowels for a different word underneath yod heh vav -Hey. What is that word? Elohim. So in this verse, you have specifically the vowels have changed from the vowels of Adonai, which they would normally want you to say, to Elohim. And so the vowels have changed. What Nehemiah Gordon is seeing the, the various times is a lot of the times the scribes will abbreviate. And so there won't be a, what's called a holum vav. And this, for those who don't know any- The holum, the vav. The hol, yeah, the vav is the letter, but the holum. For those who don't know anything about Hebrew, the holum is not put underneath the, the, the consonants. It's actually put above the consonants. And this is actually where I want you to come in and explain something to me. Because the holum, when they write out the holum on the sacred name within these texts, you can't put two vowels onto one letter. Right, so so the holum is actually over the h, over the hey, and not over the vav, where it would normally be. Because well, we it have... depends. It can be between the the hey and the vav, or right above the vav. Okay, but still, wouldn't I mean we... you have to look at every time to find? But wouldn't we expect yeah. the o sound to go after the hey instead of before it? So if if his pronunciation is, if we're going to take him his his thought pattern here, wouldn't it be yeah? Ha, yaha vo instead? Well, that's, we'd have to look at the manuscripts and look at instances because the scribes, they might accidentally fudge about a little bit from, from one instance to another of, of their vowel placement, right? And that's the important thing. It, that's the difficulty with computers. If you're looking at a, a digital version, sometimes the computers move because the, it's a font issue, you know, how where they can place sure, the sure, sure. things. So the, the best thing, if we're going to go down that path, Caleb, is to actually look at examples and look at the actual, where we physically see the placement that the scribe himself put there. Um, so, so his explanation is that, the, oh, the scribe made a mistake and this is actually the real one. Well, can, can that's we, a claim, that's a claim, but there's no, I, can we play, can we play a oh, clip yeah, of ahead. him, of him basically saying that I, we were rushing this morning to try to, to, to get this show together. And so I actually clipped this. I, I had switched over my sound, so I clipped it and I don't know where I stopped it. With you and, and your husband, Tim, this morning, yeah. that um, there are manuscripts where uh, now most manuscripts, as I've explained in the past, usually there are not, there's a missing vowel. And every once in a while you find that there's a full set of vowels. For example, now we know in the Aleppo Codex, which is approximately 600 pages that have survived, that the name usually 99 point, I don't know what percent of the time, there's a missing vowel and the name is actually unpronounceable. And then six times, 
that we've discovered it appears with the full vowels. In the Aleppo Codex. In the Aleppo Codex, the most let's, accurate, important manuscript of the Bible. Let's pause there. Go ahead. Let's pause there. If I just took what he said there, it sounds like out of all the times that we see yod heh spelled, that there's only two things you're going to see. You're going to see it with, with unpronounceable, as he said. That's with a shava and maybe just a chamatz at the end without a holem, but six times with a holem. Well, what he's done, he's he's concealed the fact that we have like the the one you talk about, where where it's clearly the vowels for Elohim, where we clearly have like in the Leningrad, where we have ten other vocalization patterns besides the one he's talking about that you'll see, and we're going to see those same ones in Aleppo, but he's not telling, he's not showing those to his audience. He doesn't want to tip the hand. So for for by by concealing that, they don't know that information. That's information that. They're going to go, oh, so normally it's always the same, except these six times they put this this third vowel on there. And that's the deal breaker that the scribe is slipping. He's showing the scribe is actually revealing something. Yeah, the scribe's tipping his hand. So he's so his claim is that the scribe knows something. Right. This is this is the way to describe Nehemiah Gordon's position. These medieval scribes and he glumps them all together. Right. And he'll do this with the rabbis. The rabbis say and they'll say, well, some rabbis. Whenever you hear that, you got to be careful. Right. Not all medieval scribes are the same. They were hired. They were they had different training, different competency levels, different time frames and materials to work with, different levels of handwriting uh, skill, all these kinds of things, access to different sources. When you look at the 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 way they wrote it, you can't just say that all scribes knew the same thing. Not, not all scribes knew the same thing. And they're, they're humans with limited, just like we all are, limited knowledge, limited resources, uh, need to make a living in this world. And, you know, they're confronted with the same thing. He's, his idea is that these scribes had this hidden knowledge that they didn't want to reveal and that accidentally leaks through every once in a while. And then he's going to say he's got these rabbinic sources, which who knows what they are. Who know? I mean, you could find a rabbi, just like we, quote, we heard an article that quoted an Orthodox rabbi saying that all the New Testament was originally written in Hebrew. I'm just like, okay, you find a rabbi that says something, that doesn't mean anything. You can find 10 rabbis that say something. That, doesn't, that has no weight except for people that are not thinking rationally. They're led by their emotions. And, and so the scribes did not have this hidden knowledge that they're trying to conceal. But that's, that's what he wants you to believe. You have to believe that if you're going to accept his story. You have to accept that the one he chooses out of the 11 possibilities is the one rather than the others. You have to believe that the scribe knew it and was, had a, was trying to conceal it, and he accidentally made a mistake that time and not any of the other times. I mean, there's a series of fantastical claims that, are not provable. And to make a point here that this is now the way to pronounce the name, other ways are wrong. And not only that, you have, if you look at to the end of the video, I have this woman who I think she's probably a Christian. Um, she's praying Yehovah, Yehovah, right? Mentions not Yeshua, not Jesus once. And this is, this is important. This is very important because when it comes to people who are who don't confess Yeshua, who don't confess Jesus, they don't believe in the gospel, 
such as, as of to date, to my knowledge, Nehemiah Gordon, we, we have to say, well, he's not part of the ecclesia uh, as it is right now. And so the, he's not going to have a conviction about something by the Ruach. Okay, if someone's a believer, that's a different thing. We're, we're taught to make a discernment there. It's not that we're judging somebody's soul or anything like that because we're to hold out hope and pray, right? That, that, that's not, this is not a, a judgment, but this is a discernment for those of us in the body. And here's the issue, and I want to read just a little bit from Acts 9. Right after Saul of Tarsus, who was consenting to Stephen stoning for preaching what? Whose name? Whose name was Yeshua, or was, was Stephen speaking before the Sanhedrin? It wasn't Yehovah. It wasn't uh, Yahuwah or any of these pronunciations. It was Yeshua or Jesus. It was a physical flesh and blood person that he was talking about. Yep. And, he, and this is what it says in Acts 9.10. Now there was a disciple, a Talmud at Damascus named Hananiahu, Ananias, right? And the Lord said to him in a vision, the kurios, ha-kurios, right? The Lord. He said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, kurios said to him, get up and go to the street called Straight, inquire at the house of Yehudah, Judas, for a man named, a man from Tarshish called Shaul. For he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Hananiah, Hananiah, or Hananiahu, come in and lay his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. Because remember, this is after the vision that, on his way to Damascus, Paul's. But Ananias answered, Lord, again, courier, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints, your Kedashim, at Jerusalem." He's talking to Yeshua here, and here he has authority. That is power, remember authority, exousia, that's power, that's like military-backed power. From the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and before the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying ha- his hands on him, said, Brother Shaul, the Lord Yeshua, Kurias Yesu, right, who appeared to you on the road, etc., has sent me, okay, and so on and so forth. And if you read in, in John chapter 17, Yeshua says the same thing. He says, I have revealed, I have made known your name to them. Holy Father, keep them in your name. This is all throughout John chapter 17. And, we're, and what, what, what I hear you saying is that the name doesn't, it's not saying a name. The name is the personhood of, of Yeshua and the personhood of God, right? Exactly. Exactly. You can't, if you don't have the Son, you don't have the Father. Yeah. Yeah. You can say you have the Father, but if you don't have the Father, but if you don't have the Son, you don't have the Father. Here's another example: is Isaiah chapter one. He says you've, you're offering your sacrifices to me. So let's just let's just assume that in Isaiah's time, which is at the end, towards the end of the first temple era, right? That the priests were calling on the name of, let's say it's Nehemiah's way, Yehovah. Let's say they knew the name. And let's say that's what it was. But it doesn't even matter. Let's just say they knew how to pronounce the name. If anybody did, 
Isaiah probably did, right? Forget about if we know it or not. But what, and, and the people there are offering burnt offerings. They're keeping new moons and Sabbaths. And what does he say? He says, they stink to me. I'm not going to hear your prayers. It doesn't matter that you know my name because you are not righteous. So the issue then becomes, are you righteous to stand before him? Even it, knowing the name does not give you power. Yeah. There is exactly. no power in knowing how, and that is, that's an important lesson for us, because if you look in ancient Egypt, you look in ancient Mesopotamia, knowing the name of the deity was a, was a mark of personal power. And that's what, um, uh, you know, like Simon uh, Magus and things like that, they thought that they could somehow, by speaking... Control. Contr- yeah, they could control yeah. this deity's power by uttering its name. And what what the Bible has done. And this is why the book of Esther does not even have the name of God in it. The name of God is not in the book of Esther. Why? Because he, he acts in history, whether or not people, for his own purposes, hmm. whether people are con- saying his name or not. So even in Tanakh and, and we have even in Tanakh, even at the, in Exodus, was it Exodus 34 where, with the second table? Um, is that Exodus 34? Let's see. Uh, yeah, when he, when remember that Moses destroyed the first the first uh, tablets, and yep. then the Lord said, "Okay, come up in the morning and make a, you know, etc." And he says, "He so this is starting with Exodus 34 verse six. He passed in front of him and he said, "Yod Hevafe twice in a row, right? Yeah, Lord, the Lord, etc." Okay. It said, if you continue on in verse 8, Moses made haste to bow low toward the earth and to worship. And what does he say in Exodus 34, verse 9? He said, if now I have found favor in your sight, Adonai, Aleph, Dalet, Nun, Yod, full vowels. I pray, let the Lord, Adonai, again, go along in our midst. Okay, so this is, this is Moshe bowed on, he's on his face, hearing, remember, because the Lord said, he said, show me your glory. He says, you can't see my glory and live. He says, but I will, I will give you another, come up on Mount Sinai again, I'll give you another set of tablets, like the first, and I will declare my name. So he does that, and how does Moshe respond? In the Hebrew text, it's Aleph, Dalet, Nun, Yod. Twice. He doesn't address him as Yehovah, or Yahuwah, or Yahweh, or any of these ones. Why not? He says, Adonai. The point is this, is is not, we don't have power over the deity by knowing the name. Just because, even if he's, even if we accept the fantastic stories that the scribe knew, but was trying to conceal, and then he, he, it slipped through in all these manuscripts, and it's this one. Don't look at the other ten ways it's vocalized, but just this one, and this is the one. Just trust me, and you follow all that, and you accept all that. You're still at a problem that when you address him, the King of King of Kings, and you're not in his son Yeshua, and you've, you've not confessed your sin and your need for Yeshua as the only access to the Father— then you're inventing religion. And it could be the most emotional thing that you have. It could bring you to tears. 
But tears is not an indicator of truth. Never has been. Preach. The yeah. name that matters is Yeshua, and it's not, or Jesus. I don't care what language you're in, because the name is not, it, it, it's constrained by the people who are in him yeah. and the story that they, that they inhabit. And the story they inhabit is encodified by his grace in the apostolic writings and the Tanakh together. That's why things like the Didache or the, the t- sayings of Thomas, of Gospel of Thomas, all these things that it's like this thing that is, that is extracted and worked to make it sound like it's separate from who Yeshua is and what, what it's about, that those are other little efforts to try to explain things and to try to make something, try to push some kind of agenda. No. The name that matters is that God sent his son, who was absolutely perfectly obedient because he was 100% God and 100% man at the same time. That's a mystery, right? I mean, you could chase the mystery of how to pronounce God's name for the rest of your life, and you're going to have people arguing about different things. But there's, uh, there's bigger fish to fry in terms of mystery is incarnation, Emmanuel. God with us. That's that's what his name is. And that he, not for his own sin, but for our sin, died. He suffered and died. He didn't just die. He suffered. He started suffering in the garden when he was sweating drops of, uh, drops of blood. He said, my soul is, is, is uh, uh, burdened unto death. I mean, and, and he's doing this not, not for himself, but for a joy set before him that included a, a fellowship of, of all the redeemed and a glorious uh, feast. And I know we're, we're touching on what Caleb's working on for your, your thesis there, is what is, what is ultimately Passover mean? What does it mean? You should said, Yeshua says, do this in remembrance of me. If, if our approach to the Father is independent of the, of the grit and the flesh and the blood and the, the, the pain and the suffering and the exclusion and, the, and all that, the passion of who Yeshua is and why he went through that for the glory and the joy and the love and the promise and the fulfillment and his reign, his kingdom on the other side, then we're... We're inventing religion. We're trying to mm. if we're if we're not oriented to the story, and and my interactions with Nehemiah Gordon, I've talked about this kind of thing with him. It, there's no traction there in my uh, ex- personal experience, up you know as far as I know up to this day. And so I have to see when he makes claims like this, he's not being checked by what we would call ruach hakodesh, the Holy Spirit. But don't you think that that's okay? Hang on. But that is, this is where we see the same thing going on within the Hebrew roots and the Messianic movement. We have these people now, and you know, it's part of the Yahua or the Yahusha uh, movement, which is very, Those are <clears throat> which is a very, yeah, but it's a very specific movement now because these people who use the, the, like this set of names, 
they're usually very dogmatic about the fact that you have to use this name and the name is so sacred and all these things. They're missing the big points. And what they're trying to do is exactly what you were saying. They're trying to control. They're trying to control God through this. That is idolatry. <clears throat> That's all there is to it. It's idolatry. If you think that you can control God somehow or that your prayer isn't listened to unless you use this specific name or something like that, get over yourself and, and turn because that is idolatry. That is trying to control God. And I can tell you one thing, God is not controlled. The almighty God is not controlled. He controls. And that's the point is that. So here, here there are a couple other things back to David's email. It, go to it, one quick way that you could answer. Go to John 17, 25. And of course, if someone's a believer, they're going to take this as scripture. Someone, for example, someone who's not a believer who believes Yehovah, they're not going to see this as scripture. So that's a dividing line. John 17, 25. Oh, righteous father. Abba, right? Where we cry, Abba, Father. That's the spirit that we have. Although the world has not known you, yet I have known you. These have known that you sent me. Okay, mm. so you, this is either true or it's false, right? And if someone doesn't believe it is scripture, it's they have to reckon with John 17. It's not even an argument between people anymore. It's yeah. like, you know what? I believe this is scripture you don't. That, that's going to have consequences then. Verse 26 of John 17, I have made your name known to them and will make it known so that the love which you loved me, which, with which you have loved me, may be in them and I in them. This, any talk of God's name that isn't informed by John 17 or like Acts chapter 9 is going gonna, is gonna to not have traction. It's going to be like spinning in the mud. These are the verses that show God's name when he says, my name shall be great in all the earth, for example. It's talking about his character, and Tim Haig has done an excellent study of this. The word name has, well, just like the, at the end of Matthew 28, in the name of the Father and of the Son in the Ruach HaKodesh. Right? It's, it says name once, but then it has uh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Okay, well, this is a much more complex and it's, it's more uh, heavenly, but at the same time, it's more earthly. How can it be both? Because it's, because it's tied with Yeshua coming in the flesh yeah. and suffering and dying, right? And being in the grave and then resurrecting to eternal life. And so that's, this is all meat behind what God's name is in the earth now that, that cannot be separated out. Um, and one other, one other last point, the apostles themselves use how many different ways they say power on high. They say, uh, Lord or like kurios. They use almighty they use Father, they use Heavenly Father, they use Heaven to talk about God. They, I mean, there's, I don't know, how many, several ways that, that God is talked about in the apostolic writings, and they're all kosher. Nowhere in the apostolic writings are they telling you, this is the proper vocalization, and, and, and we're revealing it because there's a conspiracy to conceal it. No, that's just a. That's or just your a, or your prayers will be really heard if you say this word. Yeah, yeah, and that's just not the case <clears> at all. 
not the case. Okay. Um, you know, I, there's, here, here's the end point to this. And, uh, you know, this is not uh, to try to rag on any leader in the Messianic Hebrew roots or Christian world who hasn't taken the time to learn uh, the original languages. I have, I myself have uh, had a very difficult time in Hebrew. <clears throat> Pardon me, I have something in my throat. Um, I've had a very difficult time in Hebrew and I've switched my focus of language studies to Greek. Um, but I know enough now. I, I don't know the ins and outs of Hebrew well enough to look at the argument that is going within, sorry, <clears throat> uh, to look at the argument that's going on within, uh, you know, I, I can see what's happening and I can see how, how the vowels are changing. I know why the vowels are changing, but my grammar in Hebrew is not good enough to, to uh, uh, stake a huge argument like my father or like Rob could uh, in a debate on uh, this issue. However, I know enough that I can look at it, see what's going on, and I can, I can understand it, right? Mm -hmm. For those who don't have any knowledge of the Hebrew, this is a very, very complex issue that's hard to understand. And it's hard to have it explained to you because there's so many different variables that are going on here. Exactly. Good point. And so this isn't to try to diminish anyone who doesn't have language studies, but if you really, if you're a leader and you're trying to understand these things or you're combating these things within your congregation, or you're having people come to you and say, help us understand this. To be completely honest, what's gonna, what you're going to have to do is spend a year learning the basics of Hebrew and probably another year learning uh, some of the basics of Masoretic studies or some of the basics of, uh, you know, or, or even deeper knowledge of Hebrew and the vowel and, you know, the scribes and how they put the vowels on things. Um, mm -hmm. Beyond that, we can try to explain okay, this vowel means this, or they put this vowel here or whatnot. But it's, it's a very difficult issue to try to understand if you don't know any Hebrew. And when I say don't know any Hebrew, I don't mean that, you know, you can, you know, say your Olive Bet in a song and, you know, you can identify each, each word or each letter. I'm saying that you have to have some knowledge of how the language works. And this is, I mean, I can relate this to, to Greek very well because I, I know Greek a lot better within Greek. And Rob was even saying, no, you can't, you can't use these kind of words with Hebrew. We talk about inflection in Greek, right? Words are inflected differently. And because of the idea of inflection, I can kind of have a better idea of how, uh, how the, the vowels are changing within Hebrew. But Rob even has said to me before we came on the air, you can't use the word inflection when it comes to Hebrew, because that's not what's going on. That's not how, that's not how it works. So even my knowledge, even my basic knowledge of Hebrew, I've taken two years of Hebrew, even my basic knowledge of Hebrew still has hangups because I'm not as well versed as I should be within Hebrew. Now, if this is a Greek matter, I'd probably have a much better understanding of it. Um, but really, if you want to, uh, I think it, I think before you glob onto, if you're a person who doesn't know any Hebrew, before you glob onto the teaching, a uh, teaching like this of the sacred name or what's going on in the Masoretic text, you need to know that, uh, unfortunately for ne Nehemiah Gordon, the foremost Masoretic scholars in the world, and I'm not just talking one or two of them, I'm talking like the entire room full of Masoretic scholars at the SBL 
will tell you that Nehemiah Gordon and his idea of the pronunciation of the Tetragrammaton is simply wrong. They will tell you, no, he's got it wrong. This, they're, and they're going to say, yeah, the, the Jehovah King James people had it wrong 500 years ago, and we've known it that long. You know, I mean, that's, in other words, he, what, what he's, it seems to be promoting as a discovery really is the same reason why the King James has Jehovah. Yeah, exactly. Right? The only, but the only correction is that they changed the J to a Y. Exactly. That's, that's the deal. I mean, so, um, yeah, yeah. And, and so we're, we're dealing with this kind of issue, um, It does call, you know, it's good for us to be challenged, right? Because we do need to see, wow, okay, what is it that is appealing about this message? Well, if someone is coming around with, it's really easy to believe this message. Look, you've been lied to. Yeah. People have lied to you. Here's the truth. And the whole tradition, you know how tradition's gotten it wrong so many times? Well, this time they really have it wrong. They've really, but guess what? It leaked through. There was they a leakage. screwed up. No, there was a leakage. <clears throat> yeah, there's a WikiLeaks, <laughs> yeah. right? And we, you know, the we're going to actually leak the truth that the scribes knew, and they leaked it through. And now I'm going to be the source of it's. It's like that. It's like Nehemiah Gordon's kind of like the WikiLeaks. He's like of he's like trying the to medieval be. scribes. He's no, trying what, to be. I mean, that's what that. But see, that's easy. People don't have to have training to believe that to accept that. It's believable. Yeah. You know, the tr- it's very believable. Tradition has all sorts of things wrong. Why are you going to trust tradition here? And I can leverage that and, and say, look, here's a solution that's actually a conspiracy to cover up. And now we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna stand against the ban. And, and, and we're going to have – and there's green pastures over here for you guys to come eat. And I'm like, no. Why? I don't believe a word of what you're saying, right? Yeah. Well – the reason I don't believe a word is because I have, a, I'm coming from an informed yeah. background. But people who don't know that it's like, wow, the world is flat. <laughs> NASA's lying the whole time. Yeah. Or uh, what are some of the other ones? You know. Well, look. I, the the basic point is this. You know, if you're a leader in a, and I think that the Messianic and Hebrew roots community needs this the most right now. We need leaders who are willing to put in time and effort to become knowledgeable and informed about things instead of just thinking that they can do it all on their own. And part of that, maybe not for everyone, but if you're leading a Messianic or Hebrew roots community, I would encourage you, I believe it's imperative to take at least some introductory courses to the languages. And the reason why is because without it, you're going to be in the weeds on stuff like this. And these are the things that unfortunately Unfortunately, these are the things that uh, that people are now getting in squabbles about. Things that are uh, outside of their realm, and so they're making things up about it. And I'm not saying that about Nehemiah Gordon. I'm saying that about the people that you see on the internet in the Hebrew Roots movement who are they're hanging their hat on whether or not you know how to pronounce Yeshua right or right, you know right. Yod Hey Vav Hey right or whatever. And as leaders. People, if you're a leader of a community, you need to be able to knowledgeably say, no, this isn't right, and this is why. Whether or not the people in the community are going to say, my leader said, you know, my the, te- the t- teacher that I, I listened to today at, in my community said this, whether or not they believe you or not, that's up to the Holy Spirit 
and the true leader, which is Yeshua, to turn their heart to the truth. But it's up to leaders to be able to seek out the truth and find the truth from a knowledgeable place instead of from the dumpster diving that happens on Facebook and other, you know, and Wikipedia. It's it's just not the way that we do things. That that video started <clears throat> out with a clip from the middle that says, why would I ever stop? Why would I ever stop? Um, and I think it might even be the name of the video is why would I stop? And that's in My reference to that's that's in reference to to, to the to name pronouncing the name yeah. and re, uh, and right when I heard that I'm like, why did you start? Yeah, why did you start? And he started because he because of belief in the story we've described that out of the in the Leningrad Codex, one out of the eleven different ways it's vocalized happens to be the true the true one. How he knows that nobody knows. Um, and and not only that is it the true one? It's described leaked it through accidentally, like it came, like it was an error. How does he know that? Just because you have to believe him. And if you believe that, if you believe that the one he picked out of the out of those is the correct one, and you believe that the scribe knew, and somehow accidentally let it slip through, you're on your way to to in, that's the steps into the conspiracy it, world. If you believe that, then I have some property in the Poconos that I that is for sale. Come talk to me because I'd like to sell it to you. I mean, honestly, it, it's and no offense to Nehemia, but there the evidence. I mean, he can have a a genuine conversation with people about this, but the fact of the matter is, is that he's going to be put down by scholar after scholar after scholar when it comes to Masoretic studies because the evidence is simply against him. Okay, we're going to take next week off, and we're going to take next week off because I will be on vacation with my family. I always appreciate prayer um, from our listeners when uh, I'm traveling, whether it's for fun, which this one is, or whether it's for uh, for business. we I, I'm, I, I am uh, going to be very blessed to spend some time with my uncle and my aunt down in California. My uncle is a pastor down there. He has a very nice, uh, large Baptist church that he's the pastor of. And uh, we're uh, very excited to go and spend some time with uh, his community and to experience their service. And so um, we're just praying that the Lord will, will really bless us while we're while we're gone. So uh, if you wouldn't mind praying for us, we'd appreciate it. Next week we will be off and then we will come back in two weeks to begin the season five. Can you believe it? Season five, show 198 will be our first show. 198 episodes we've done. That just Lord willing. blows, Lord willing. yeah, Lord willing, just blows my mind. Uh, thank you very much to the people who sent us uh, emails. We really base a lot of our show off of the questions and the comments that come in. And so don't forget to uh, call our comment line 253-465-3205. That's 253-465-3205. You can also shoot us an email, chegg, that's C-H-E-G-G, at torresource.com. Let us know what you want us to talk about because that's usually what we talk about is what other people want us to talk about. Um, until next time, we hope that you will uh, realize that the name that we have to call on is really the entire personage of our great God and Savior, Yeshua, the Messiah. <laughs>